Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Wednesday. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, as always, so let's go ahead and dive into our first story. President Joe Biden spoke in Warsaw, Poland, um, addressed the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and had some strong words, but I think absolutely correct words to share during this speech. And, of course, Within the United States, uh, recently and really throughout the whole conflict, there is an unfortunately large population of people who are going to and actively disagree with what Biden is saying here. And so hopefully worldwide and within the United States, Biden's action of going to Kiev, Ukraine, that surprise trip that we covered, and speeches like this, powerful speeches outlining the facts of the situation, um, will change some people's mind because we absolutely should be supporting Ukraine in the ways that we are. And hopefully we will continue um, at least as far as the United States goes. But first uh, moment here, he kind of uh, addresses directly the Russian people and is saying, we're not coming for you. This is about defending uh, Ukraine. So tonight I speak once more to the people of Russia. The United States and the nations of Europe do not seek to control or destroy Russia. The West was not plotting to attack Russia, as Putin said today. And millions of Russian citizens who only want to live in peace with their neighbors are not the enemy. This war is never a necessity. It's a tragedy. President Putin chose this war. Every day the war continues is his choice. He could end the war with a word. It's simple. If Russia stopped invading Ukraine, it would end the war. If Ukraine stopped defending itself against Russia, it would be the end of Ukraine. That's why together we're making sure Ukraine can defend itself. Absolutely. And in a later segment in today's show, we're going to talk about how Putin and this is not a new thing, but has been trying to frame the Russian invasion of Ukraine as some sort of defensive action. The United States or Ukraine or whoever might be actually started this. It wasn't um, Russia. And Biden is highlighting here, as I wish everyone understood, that Russia is to blame for this. And Russia is the one responsible for ending the war. And until that happens, the United States hopefully will support uh, Ukraine in their effort of defending themselves. Then we get to uh, the second moment here. One year, in, one year into this war, Putin no longer doubts the strength of our coalition, but he still doubts our conviction. He doubts our staying power. He doubts our continued support for Ukraine. He doubts whether NATO can remain unified. But there should be no doubt. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided, and we will not tire. <laughs> President Putin's craven lust for land and power will fail, and the Ukrainian people's love for their country will prevail. Democracies of the world will stand guard over freedom today, tomorrow, and forever. So that's, what it's, that's what's at stake here, freedom. That's the message I carried to Kyiv yesterday, directly to the people of Ukraine. When President Zelensky said he came to the United States in December, quote, 
He said, this struggle will define the world and what our children and grandchildren, how they live, and then their children and grandchildren. And we'll stop that one uh, there. Absolutely. And at one point he said, we will not tire. And I think that's an important theme for sure, because the hope, I'm sure, from uh, Putin is that the West and NATO, the United States specifically, will just get exhausted, will give up. People will no longer be as bought into supporting Ukraine in this. And Biden's saying, as long as he's um, in office and with the power he has with that, that won't be the reality. We won't get tired. We won't get exhausted with this. Um, I mean, we're tired of it happening, but we're not going to tire in our support of Ukraine in their defense of their country. Um, then talking about the atrocities that the Russian military, the Russian government has caused and has partooken. For free people refuse to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. You know, this has been an extraordinary year in every sense. Extraordinary brutality from Russian forces and mercenaries. They've committed depravities, crimes against humanity, without shame or compunction. They've targeted civilians with death and destruction, used rape as a weapon of war, stolen Ukrainian children in an attempt to, in an attempt to steal Ukraine's future, bombed train stations, maternity hospitals, schools and orphanages. No one, no one can turn away their eyes from the atrocities Russia is committing against the Ukrainian people. It's abhorrent. It's abhorrent. But extraordinarily, as well, has been the response of the Ukrainian people and the world. One year after the bombs began to fall, Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine. Ukraine is still independent and free. Absolutely. Um, and as I always kind of talk about this, the whole event is just a complete tragedy caused by um, the Russian government, specifically Vladimir Putin. The response we've seen from Ukraine has been absolutely um, incredible and absolutely courageous and all of the words that you can use to describe it. They absolutely um, deserve to be described in that way because it's been pretty stunning watching how they've been able to stand up to what should be a much more dominant military, the Russian military, but in this situation has not. And that's been incredible to see. And the credit goes to the Ukrainian people, um, to the country of Ukraine. But also, it's part of why I'm so supportive of the support the United States is giving um, military, military aid and otherwise, because that has played a role in this. It is part of the reason that Ukraine has had the resources to use the courage and the strength that they have, but then have the necessary tools um, and resources to make that manifest the situation we're seeing now. And so hopefully we will continue to support Ukraine and it won't be NATO, it won't be the United States getting tired, but instead Russia and eventually Putin will give up with this. Well, staying on the topic of Putin, his invasion of Ukraine, um, he delivered remarks recently that were pretty 
disturbing. And also during these remarks announced that uh, Russia will be suspending their participation in the new START treaty. Um, and START stands for Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, an attempt to make the world safer from the standpoint of nuclear weapons. Um, and they are suspending their participation in that treaty. Now, this isn't actually in practice. It's not a big change. And we'll talk about why that is in a second here. But in rhetoric, in what it symbolizes, it does matter. And it's raising the concern we've been concerned with for a while, which is this is another step in the direction of Putin possibly using nuclear weapons um, in Ukraine. So with that being said, here's this from CNN, Russian President Vladimir Putin's announcement Tuesday that Russia would suspend participation in the New START treaty. A key nuclear arms reduction agreement is the latest in a series of ominous declarations in which he has made reference to his nuclear arsenal. What specifically this latest move will mean in terms of the worldwide nuclear threat is something of a question mark. The treaty was already essentially paused since Russia had recently refused to open up its arsenal to inspectors. CNN's report notes that Putin is not technically withdrawing from the treaty, so his declaration, quote, appears to be formalizing its current position. Um, Russia's foreign minister later clarified that Moscow will continue to respect the caps established in the treaty and that Putin's suspension of the treaty is reversible. So those caps being how many nuclear weapons uh, each country can have and they're going to continue to respect that but again it's more about the symbol of specifically in regard to something nuclear weapons related putin stepping away um taking a provocative action and then we'll talk a little bit from the independent here about putin's speech vladimir putin has used a speech devoted to russia's invasion of ukraine to rail against the west and announced that moscow is suspending its participation in the last major nuclear arms control treaty with the u.s in the near two-hour address which meandered from topic to topic mr putin laid out a litany of well-worn grievances grievances against western nations including blaming them for the start of the war in ukraine and saying that they want to destroy russia quote it's they who have started the war and we are using force to end it, Mr. Putin claimed. And in the last segment, we talked about Biden's speech in Warsaw, Poland, and uh, he addressed that very talking point, saying that Putin, one man, can make the decision to end this war. And it's not allowing Russia to be threatened. It's not allowing the Russian people to be hurt. It's just stopping his invasion of a sovereign country. And Putin, from the beginning, he's thrown every talking point at the wall possible. Um, but one of the things he does come back to a lot is the West provoked this, or specifically Ukraine provoked this, which isn't true. He's just lying. And uh, this is for optics for his people. So they think, oh, we're justified. Um, Putin is leading us correctly because... At the end of the day, he's just trying to defend Russia by invading a sovereign country that didn't threaten Russia, um, which makes absolutely no sense um, and is incredibly dishonest. And we knew he would be using this type of rhetoric, but now we're seeing him do it a lot. And what's scary is from Putin's perspective, and we look at Putin and watch him say that I'm going to pull out of a treaty that was supposed to make the world more safe when it comes to nuclear weapons. And he said many times 
that Russia has, he's alluded to Russia having a lot of nuclear weapons and they have the right um, to use them. And then in that same context, saying it's the West's fault, the West provoked us, the United States is really to blame here. You start seeing why it's such a terrifying moment that we're in. And the solution is not for the United States to back away. The world does not become safer if the United States stops supporting Ukraine. Russia will be emboldened. Russia will continue to um, threaten the national security of many different nations if we were to do that. And so when people say they're concerned about nuclear war, they see these statements and take that to mean this is why the United States shouldn't support Ukraine because we're provoking him. You cannot set a precedent where someone can do the things Putin's doing, threaten even the most brutal and devastating uh, action being nuclear war and setting the precedent of that will cause people to let you take over other countries. That just can't be the reality. So within that understanding, we now say, what can we do? Well, we can help Ukraine defend themselves. And hopefully Putin, after he uh, sees that this is not going to be a successful endeavor, will eventually give up. But overall, a very terrifying situation and Putin making it even more one uh, of one every single day. We've been watching pretty closely the uh, special grand jury in Georgia investigating Trump's attempts to overturn the, uh, the 2020 election in the state. And we have some big news on that front right now, which is that the foreperson of this grand jury is now speaking publicly about when this final report, the recommendations that this final report hold, um, when that all becomes public, what we're gonna learn. And the job of the grand jury was to do this investigation and then make recommendations. And uh, this foreperson who's speaking publicly is saying that there are numerous indictment recommendations that the grand jury is making. And uh, if you've been following, and we'll get to this moment in a second, but if you've been following the investigation, following the process, you won't be surprised about who's being indicted. Sounds like she's saying Trump, or who they're recommending, to be clear, who they're recommending should be indicted. It's not up to the grand jury to make that decision. That would be uh, District Attorney Fannie Willis's job, but they're making recommendations based on their investigation. And she's saying, it won't surprise you, which seems to indicate Trump is on that list of, again, multiple indictment recommendations. Now, I'll talk about what I think about the four person coming out publicly and all that in a little bit. But first, just this is huge news. And we may be seeing these recommendations about indictments and possible indictments from District Attorney Fannie Willis coming very soon, which is huge. What do you want people? And this is the four person. To know about this process and about your work. That really, really, when it came down to it, we were just people looking into something and that's worth it. Emily Kors served as four person. She is limited in what she can share. A judge ordered deliberations must stay under wraps. But Kors confirms the jurors did recommend indictments against multiple people. It's not a short list. So we're talking about more than a dozen people? I would say that, yes. Are these recognizable names, names that people would know? There are certainly names that you would recognize, yes. She would not say whether that includes the former president, but did say this. I don't think that there are any giant plot twists coming. I don't think that there are any like giant 
that's not the way I expected this to go at all. I, I don't think that's... Which seems to indicate Trump. Now, before we dive into the second moment, it's interesting to learn this stuff from someone who is a grand juror. I don't like that this is happening, though. And you'll notice if you go to right-wing media, part of the reasons about why that is, just the sense that this gives that <clears throat> this isn't being done by the books almost, which it is, but having someone go out to the media before everything becomes public and it just muddies the water in my mind. We'll talk about some people saying this actually could get in the way of the investigation itself and the legal process there. There's no reason. You don't help the case by coming out publicly and talking about it. Just leave it private until um, the indictments actually happen or the actual full report gets released to the public. To me, this is completely needless, um, but interesting. Continuing to the next moment on CNN. Say there's no plot twists and you know people won't be shocked. People are gonna people are gonna hear that and they're gonna think that means that Donald Trump is definitely on that list. Um, I know it's delicate, but can you can you speak to that? I can't. Well, I, I might be able to according to instructions, but I don't want to. I don't want to speak out on something that the judge, like I said, consciously chose not to release at this point. I don't know if I would interfere with the DA's investigations. I don't know if I would interfere with procedures in some way. I just, I very much do not want to cross that line. But in your view, people will not be surprised when they see the list of names to come out who you recommended to face indictment. Especially if they've been following the investigation. I, I can't see it being a shocker. You know, Donald So pretty clear, which that's a big deal. We might be seeing, which this is huge, historic, a former president, active presidential candidate being indicted. Um, if nothing else, having indictment recommendations made by this grand jury. Again, I say though, the excited energy almost that she's bringing is not necessary to me because it needs to say as by the books, as not even just an appearance politically motivated as possible. And I think this messes with that um, optically. I do think a very good investigation has been done and Trump absolutely attempted to overthrow the democratic process in the state of Georgia and needs to be held accountable for it. Um, we've talked about how in a perfect world, Trump would be held accountable for everything he's done that possibly violated the law. But if I had to choose one, it would be his attempts to overthrow the democratic um, election because that has and what it means now and what it means going forward the greatest most significant most impactful uh, amount of ramifications and so many different very impactful outcomes will come of that because we cannot allow in a democratic you know republic in a democratic system of our elections for a president to lose and attempt to stay in that position of power and attempt to meddle in that process. That just cannot be allowed. So hopefully this doesn't get in the way. I don't think this by itself would, but we'll continue to follow it closely. And last thing I'll add on to this kind of an individual who appeared on MSNBC echoing some of the concerns that I am with the four person coming out publicly. 
We shouldn't be surprised at that. I, in my 25 years with the FBI, I don't believe I've ever seen a grand juror of any kind, special or otherwise, come out and speak like this. So, yes, we're taken aback. I will remind people this is a special grand jury. They don't make the call, as you just said. The DA, in concert with an indicting grand jury, will make that decision. This, this jury only makes a recommendation, but yet... Stephanie, I am deeply troubled by the fact that this much disclosure is going on in this process. And I think it has legal ramifications. I think this young woman means well, but I also think she does not understand the repercussions here. I would not be surprised if we see a judge come in and admonish the remainder of this special grand jury that he's heard enough of them speaking publicly. Ooh. And this is just not something that you want to mess up. It's not at all. And it's one of those, in any situation, you think, what are the pros, what are the cons? The cons are what the guy just walked through of someone coming out publicly. The pros, we get to know some stuff we would know later earlier. It just, there's not pros, really, um, or a significant amount of them. So hopefully everything continues forward and Trump is held accountable. And I'm fascinated to see if she says it's a long list or a short list, but numerous names um, on that list who else will be getting indictment recommendations from this investigation. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene has doubled down on her uh, America should get a national divorce. We should break up along the lines of red states and blue states. And I have an interview for you where she talks about this. If you missed it on Twitter, she tweeted out, we need to have a national divorce. Our differences are too much, essentially. And now... A lot of criticism came her way, as it should have, because she is putting forward a vile and bonkers idea. Um, vile and bonkers. That's kind of the story of Marjorie Greene's life. Uh, and she went on Charlie Kirk's show to talk about this, and she's still loving it. She's loving this idea, and she's added on to it. If this were to happen, and we'll talk about why she just does not understand whatsoever what even the hypothetical is that she's saying, um, that if blue state individual citizens moved to red state places, they would have to be there for five years before they would get to vote. Hmm. To a point where we really need to talk about solutions to this problem. We don't want a civil war. That's the last thing we want in our country. As a matter of fact, we want to be able to respect each other and get along but we also need to do, you know, to really look so, at major so what, changes to what fix is a our problems. What does a national divorce look like in your, an, in your estimation? Well, a national divorce is not a civil war. It's actually separating by red states and blue states um, and making state rights and state power a lot stronger than it is right now. Um, it would be shrinking the federal government. For example, we can take education. Well, if we have a national divorce, there's no need for the department. So what she is trying to do, and we'll watch so much more of this interview, but let me kind of walk through piece by piece. What she's trying to do is say, I'm not calling for a national divorce the same that um, you would picture a secession and two completely separate countries. I'm saying divorce red states from blue states so that the federal government's smaller but we're still going to have the same military is one of the things she says. And we're still technically a union. Um, number one, as we said in a past segment about this, logistic 
take, I'm just gonna take away all of my kind of, my gushy statements like the United States should be one country. All of us are Americans and we need to figure out how we, with that assumption, move forward in a way that is cohesive and um, works. But just throw all that in the garbage for now. Just logistically, this would not work because she's saying red states, blue states. If 99% of the population in red states were Republicans, maybe that becomes more of even a very hypothetical possibility, but that's not the case. You have states like Texas, where a massive portion of the population in all the cities are slanted towards the blue direction, and then uh, much of the state's also Republican. And so how would you do that? Are you saying that, okay, now you're just a part of the new red version of the half of the country that was nationally divorced, but we're still kind of one union. Um, but all of the things that people rely on that the federal government does because we're one country that um, makes sure our, all people are covered in different ways. Those programs go away now because the red state part of the country can decide to do whatever they want. It's just very incoherent how this would logistically work, much less what I think is also a very against the spirit, the promise, the hope of America and um, is provocative because maybe she's saying it's not about a civil war, but when you tell people things are bad enough where the solution is us breaking up, some people may think worse things than you are justified. Continuing. Department of Education, red states and blue states would be in control of the education in each state. Red states would very likely um, have traditional education, homeschooling, uh, charter schools, private schools, technical schools. They would not allow any type of gender lies being taught in their schools. LGBTQ woke teachers would be fired and not allowed to teach there. Did she just completely, and of course my uh, camera here is freezing up. Let's see if it comes back on. While I'm talking, uh, please hold. There we go. Um, she just slipped and said LGBTQ woke teachers would not be allowed to teach. LGBTQ teach? What? Why is that in this? Are you just saying that, and this is honestly what I think they mean sometime, sometimes, LGBTQ teachers in and of themselves are woke and thus need to be thrown out from the education process. That's disgusting. Um, they would allow parents to be able to choose the curriculum uh, instead of school boards that, that don't respect parents' beliefs and traditional family values. Um, and it maybe in blue states, they would have full gender transition schools for their students. I don't know what they would do, but I'm sure their education do would you, look different than ours. No, just, just to make sure I understand, do, are you argue, arguing for separate nations? No, not separate nations, not at all, because I believe in the United States of America and don't want to see that go away. I believe right. that we still need a strong United States military, but the Department of Defense should return to its original um, in, uh, charter and intent, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's supposed to... Wait, I promise we'll watch more. I just... So the red states and the blue states are divorcing. When you say national divorce, you're assuming becoming two separate countries, becoming two separate states, right? In the um, literal sense. And how then are you saying we have one military, we're a 
union, same nation, but the federal government can't meddle at all in the affairs of the red states, I guess is what you're saying. But then would you elect officials to the national, is there any national government other than the military? And let's say again, and then we'll watch more. Another thing we went over in a past segment, um, and the reason why it sounds so confused is because I'm genuinely confused about how she even pictures this going. Um, but if you made even just a fully governed red state by, you know, by the red, for the red, within the red, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even if you did that, you would have a disastrous situation economically, in terms of crime, in terms of education. And we know that because look at the top 10 states as far as poverty go in the, goes in the United States. Nine out of 10 if you include DC, 10 out of 10 if you don't include DC are red states. Look at the top states for crime rates, disproportionately red states. Look at the top 10 worst education systems as far as states goes, disproportionately uh, red states. This would be a disastrous country or part of the country that governs themselves if you didn't have the intervention of uh the woke ideology like <laughs> medicare and social security <laughs> um that let's always remember were the radical progressive ideas before they became something everyone agreed agreed with right it was so radical that medicare and social security were being put forward it was so radical that medicaid that food all these different things are always socialism until they're not, until even Republicans don't want to speak out against them. Um, and that's what the federal government in many cases, of course, I name some stuff that are met, uh, you know, regulated by the states too, but um, in a general sense, these programs that are necessary federally that red states wouldn't have if it wasn't for the federal government are absolutely crucial to the lives of so many people. Even the ones who say, I wish I could live in just a red state governed by only red politicians. They don't actually, uh, if they knew what that would mean, would want that. Continuing forward. Its mission is to defend our borders and our national security. And you know, under what I'm talking about, that's what our Department of Defense would do. It wouldn't be more interested in fighting foreign wars and defending foreign countries' borders. Yes. It would defend the United States' borders so that each state could exist um, how it chooses to, sure. to exist. And I disagree with what you're saying, but I don't think the left would ever stop. I don't think they'll ever stop trying to invade our states or our counties. So how do we? It's not us invading your states. It's us invading our country. It's us voting in our country that I think you're just as much of a part of and making decisions collectively that you happen to disagree with because more people in our country are not bought into the ideology that you are. Stop them. Well, I think that, you know, red states could choose and uh, how they allow people to vote in their states. For example, um, over the past couple of years, we've seen a mass exodus from California and New York. Uh, where we've seen people fleeing uh, those leftist policies and moving to states like Florida, Georgia, Texas, um, you know, states where they they like the tax policies, they they like the schools, they li they like the consequences of Republican and red policies. Um, what I think would be something that some red states could propose is, well, okay, if if Democrat voters uh, choose to flee these blue states where they cannot tolerate the living conditions, they don't want their children 
taught these horrible things and they really change their mind on the types of policies that they support. Well, once they move to a red state, guess what? Maybe you don't get to vote for five years. You can live there, you can work there, but you don't get to bring your values that you that you basically created in the blue states you can. Okay, so we're still one nation, but if you move within that nation, you might be disenfranchised for five years because your values don't align. Now, what it sounds like she's putting forward is this interesting plan, um, straight face, uh, to have our federal government do things that only Marjorie Greene wants it to do, meaning the defense uh, ambitions are only the ones that she would agree with and the education leaves things to the states, but we would still be one country with one federal government, yes, okay. So then, I guess I would ask, do you think it should just be you deciding what things the federal government should or shouldn't do. No, 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 not just me. I'm not thinking, I'm not wanting to be a dictator. Maybe she would say that. Um, okay, so she doesn't want to be a dictator. So then are you saying that the federal government, that you're one nation, one federal government, what, I know an interesting idea. It's too hard for individual people, all people to decide day to day what the government does. But what if we had representatives in our federal government and then we could all collectively choose who's in there and maybe... Sometimes the person I like the most doesn't win, but those people then govern and decide federally what, what's happening. And if more people want a smaller government in states and they don't want to support Ukraine and they don't want woke education, <laughs> then federally that decision will be made by representatives that are put in through democratic process. Oh, wait, Ben, <laughs> I know I'm being so annoying right now. I, I apologize, but it's too fun. We already, we already have that. We have that already. And enough people have made the decision federally that we want the things that, in you know, with disagreements to the point where we are now, or, and then we got to where we are now. And so in a democratic process, it doesn't go if too many people start siding with, uh, with a set of policies that you don't like. You just create a separate part of the country that gets to do whatever they want. We're in a democratic country. You just keep losing because your ideas are bad. Try to get at better ways of explaining your ideas or pushing your policy positions or don't keep hating people because of the way that they live and don't keep trying to overthrow democratic processes by lying about the election. And maybe people will be on board with your ideas. Stop complaining about Jewish space lasers that you believe in, and maybe you'll start winning <laughs> in the the government in the uh, country that we already have. We don't need two separate, partially connected ones, as she's putting forward there. Really bonkers stuff. Uh, we have a subreddit. Make sure to go check it out. If you want to talk about what the heck's going on with Marjorie Green, you can do so there. And hit me with it, Ben, where they find that. You can find that at The Luke Beasley Show. Mm, the Luke Beasley Show um, on Reddit. That is our subreddit. Sometimes I get those two terms mixed up, but that's the reality and it's beautiful. And I want you there. Well, staying with Marjorie Taylor Greene's idea of a national divorce, um, we looked at in the last segment, her incoherent explanation of what that would mean. And now we have another interview that she did this time with 
Sean Hannity on Fox News. And let me tell you, and if you're watching the full show, which you can get access to the full video uh, version of the show at patreon.com slash Luke Beasley, and you just listened to this last Marjorie Green story, stick around because we're going to go through some of the same things, but it's so wild what she tries to do in this interview. And she seems just the word that keeps coming to mind besides bunker and vile and all that bonkers um, is confused, just completely confused about what a government is structured like, what a national government means, what democracy means, confused about it all. And you'll see that pretty clearly. If you missed it, Marjorie Green, what's gotten all this attention is she put out a tweet saying that we should have a national divorce. Red states, blue states, separate. And then has kind of changed or at least is clarifying what that would mean, which is not at all what a national divorce means, which would be we're still one country, but red states get to do whatever they want and blue states get to do whatever they want. And uh, you'll hear her explain that or attempt to, I should say, in this interview. When Marjorie Taylor Greene made waves over the holiday weekend with this tweet calling for a national divorce after facing backlash from Democrats and some Republicans, Greene followed up with a detailed thread explaining why she thinks this is a good idea. Green is saying that a national divorce would empower individual states to form a smaller government, reduce the federal debt, set their own environmental standards, and the congresswoman has another idea as well, banning people who move from blue states to red states from voting for five years so they don't bring their bad politics with them. I actually favor that idea. Anyway, here with more is Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, I, I read this and, and then I read your comments on it. You know, I think most people instinctively want this to be the United States of America. And here's my question. You know, how did you get to this this point? I mean, I, I look at topics, for example, how do you reconcile defund the police and no bail laws with law and order? How <laughs> He's lying. The National Democratic Party is not standing for those things. Stop saying that. There's uh, local conversations going on, but the president right now, how many times has he repeated, don't defund, fund? And he's known for uh, being more tough on crime, too much. So I think all of us now can agree that his history there was overboard um, and was bad. But Biden is not the face of defund the police. Come on. How do you reconcile secure borders and wide open borders? How do you reconcile energy independence with oh sorry i guess i should correct all of them borders aren't open the energy dependence and new green deal we're back on track to record uh oil and gas production how do you reconcile peace through the green new deal hasn't been passed isn't supported by joe biden strength uh with with people that want to gut our defense you know there i don't see middle ground on a lot of these issues so what is the, the other answer if it's not a divorce well, exactly, Sean. That's the problem and where we are today. And in, in my life, in my world, I all of my friends are regular Americans. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways... <laughs> I just want to give you health care. That's it. Just... I'm not abusing you. I just, I, just, I just don't think you should be treated differently in our criminal justice system based on the color of your skin. 
supports it. I just think that you should be able to join a union and fight for better working conditions. I just think that you should be able to love who you want to love and identify the way you want to identify. I don't want to abuse you, Marjorie. ...of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, no one wants that, at least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction and we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. Our government is in complete failure, over $34 trillion. We are on the verge of default and we have to do something about that. But <laughs> We're on the verge of default but because you and your colleagues are threatening that. And this whole America is in decline and it's all falling apart and we're all in shambles. By any metric you could use to make that determination, that's just not the case. Um, you could have said we were in a bad time and there's still a lot of problems, of course, as we talk about all the time. But as far as where we compare to historical trends, we're fine. Most powerful nation on, uh, on the face of the earth. And we need to address domestic problems 100% and the war in Ukraine, all that. But I'm saying compared to history, this whole this is the end of America thing is not accurate unless you're talking about our democratic institutions, which are being threatened pretty significantly. But if we get through that, um, we're going to be OK, guys. But that was the right and the left that did that to the American people on their own. But the Democrats never stopped pushing their policies, their ideas and their culture on Republicans and the right. And we are so sick and tired of it. We are tired of our children. Yeah, it's t <laughs> just so you know, everyone's always pushing their culture on each other. Everyone's always trying to say our views are better. And we want you to believe our views. And if you don't believe that and you're acting like it's not the right who pushes their views on other people, where do you think the constant demonization and uh, ad the advocacy for the set of beliefs that tell millions of people they're going to burn eternally because they're a man and they kiss a man? Where do you think that comes from? Someone else pushing their views onto other people. And the views that I'm pushing on you are just, hey, let's treat people, you know, compassionately. Being taught ideas and ideologies in school that we do not want our children taught, like gender lies. We do not want our children um, being having their gender change or transitioned. We we can't even have women's sports and privacy in our bathrooms, and women in prison can't even have spaces. ESG, environmental social governance, has completely taken over corporations, and this is a huge policy pressed on private businesses through the government from Democrats. If you're a white male today in the financial industry. And then now it's, it's just so you know, there's times when the left has done things incorrectly. That's not the point that I'm making. Um, so when she says doing things, private businesses, there's instances of Democrats pushing for uh, interactions with private businesses that I wouldn't support. Um, and then some that I absolutely do. But like this whole, it's the left who does that and the right doesn't. Can we remind ourselves as far as the government getting involved in private business practices, two main things just off the top of my head. The first being DeSantis trying to punish Disney because they, I don't know, had like a pride celebration or something. They celebrated different identities. I can't even remember. Had a 
I have a Disney Pride shirt. Was that what they were angry about? Something Pride related or they had a gay character or something like that caused a whole ruckus and DeSantis is trying to punch them for that. Um, and then the hearings going on right now about Twitter, Marjorie Green and Lauren Boba were saying, why did you suspend my account? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so the government is telling a private social media company that they have to do things on their platform, but it's the left who's getting the government to intervene in inappropriate ways um, with private business. Eggy. Then getting to just a little bit skip forward. Um, let's see. He asks a follow. We'll just catch the follow up question and then her ending. Any way that America, in spite of our differences, it, are we at a point where, OK, you either win an election and your side is up to bat or you lose an election and their agenda gets pushed forward? Uh That's Sean. A breaking news. That's called democracy, sir. It's called having democratic elections. Yeah, you lose. Whoever got elected gets to be the one who was elected. Uh, <laughs> uh, or do you do you actually think there will be a growing movement towards this because the divide is so deep? I actually think this is a much bigger movement than most people in Washington even realize. And you can take a look at the tweets that I made just yesterday. The amount of likes and retweets <laughs> that those tweets got should tell True. people a lot. And they're just not aware of it yet because they don't talk to regular people. We need a national divorce because Marjorie Green got a lot of retweets saying that. Come on. You see, this isn't ending our union. This is shrinking the federal government, which we need to stop our spending. Our spending is out of control. We can abolish departments and different parts of our federal government and give states more power and control to conduct their affairs and their laws that fit the people that live in those states. This is more respectful towards all Americans and it could end the fighting and hopefully we can respect each other once again. And do you expect it'll happen? Last question. Well, I think it's something that we should work towards because, you know, it's kind of the vision that our founding fathers had for America. And what? I think it's a great one. It worked in the beginning. We just got it completely out of control. It was the vision. It worked in the beginning. That mm, gets me so mad. Things were great at the beginning of America. Um, but it was the vision of our founding fathers when they created a nation for that nation to be split in half, then why didn't, wait, that doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> so that's that. Um, I don't know like how to even do more of an intellectual breakdown of why what she's saying is so bonkers. Other than number one, it's provoking a way of thinking that does lead to very dangerous actions. People saying things are so bad that we need to do whatever we can to get away from other people within our country um, to the point of a national divorce. Maybe she's saying we shouldn't have a civil war. She's saying there shouldn't be violence. But some people won't agree with that. And they'll agree. They'll like that she's bolstering the claim that we need to split up um, and move out and take that to mean, okay, I agree with that. I disagree with her uh, process. And so my process is going to be more violent and more um, threatening. And then logistically, as we talked about in the last segment with Marjorie Green, there's no way this would, she's saying we should divide, but also we're one country and we have one military and the red states can do whatever they want, but there would still be a federal government. Well, would the federal government have democratic control? Does everyone in the whole nation get to vote um, on the representatives? Then we would just get back to where we are now. The federal government ends up doing things because 
uh, enough people vote on representatives who would want that. And yeah, you're going to disagree with things the federal government does. I do. Trump was president and I wasn't calling for a national divorce. Trump was awful. Um, and the president. And still, um, we were able to still just come back around the next election and defeat him. So really stunning stuff there. And I'll just repeat this one more time. If there was a red state version of America, like the part red state, uh, and let me just go through this again in case you're a full show viewer. I know I said all this, like, but let me go through it again for our segment viewers. Top 10 uh, most impoverished states in the United States. Nine out of 10 if you include DC, 10 out of 10 if you don't are red states. Worst education systems when you rank, rank uh, disproportionately red states. Um, crime, disproportionately red states when you rank the worst in crime. And so it would really be a disastrous situation there if Republican policies were the only thing um, in control and so many necessary programs that were stupid liberal programs um, would no longer be impacting positively the lives of so many people. And that's my thing, and I've repeated this before, um, that even though people disagree with me so much and they think that I'm some, you know, LGBTQ plot to push the woke on everyone and um, gosh, sponsored by Antifa and BLM and <laughs> I'm coming for your kids and all that. And still, I want that person to get healthcare through a universal, uh, universal healthcare uh, program. And I would fight to my grave for that person to have better working conditions and for that person to be treated by our legal process and all of those things. And it's pretty wild to see when the other side has more power in a situation or the other side has different views, the response from some is we wanna completely have a national divorce. And it's um, unfortunate and sad to see. And just another thing on the very large stack of horrible views that Marjorie Taylor Greene has, make sure to go check out our Discord, join, chat, be involved in every way that you can with the Luke Beasley Show. One of the ways is with the Discord, Luke Beasley Show is how you can find that. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. We will see you tomorrow.